Serving slaves? How you doing? Bond servants, right? Doulas, that's what we are, slaves of Christ. Let's uh, turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Chapter, Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 20. Two years and a half, guys, and this is it. We've reached the end of Matthew's letter to the Jews in Rome. He's left the best for the last, and we will be glad and and enjoy this last section of Matthew. By the way, next we're doing a series of topics. We're going to go some, maybe six Wednesdays, three Wednesdays, three Sundays with some topics. Then at the end of October, during Sunday school, we're going to go through evangelism classes. We're going to use the evangelism curriculum from Grace Community Church, and both the adults and us, we will all be doing evangelism. And then I'll be teaching starting in the end of uh, November, December, I'll be teaching only on Sundays, and the youth leaders will switch back to Wednesdays. Uh, Then after the series topics, when we start the evangelism training, we're going to do Philemon first, and then we're going to do Jude, and we're going to finish those two books before the end of the year. So the suspense is done. There was never a suspense. I just never had the time to plan it out because I was thinking I want to plan out seven years, but I just started with I got to get something done on paper. So that's the plan moving forward. Topics we're going to discuss, Christian speech, slander, gossip, lying, pride, selfishness, uh, uh, anxiety, depression. Those are uh, special topics that we're going to be discussing over the next weeks. Recently, there have been a lot of movies dealing with the end of times due to catastrophic events. Particularly, these movies happen to be related through viruses that kill out humanity and leave only a few survivors. Some of the movies deal with the viruses turning people into a zombie state where they are alive physically, but mentally and spiritually, they're just not there. They're dead. The whole purpose of these movies sometimes is those main actors trying to find the cure, trying to find the antidote that will heal these desperate, sick people. And obviously we know that this antidote will usually save millions of people. Can you imagine as you're watching the movie, the main characters get to the antidote and once they see it, that's it. And you put it away, and they just keep on going with their daily life. Or they take it, and it's not worth it, and they just throw it away. Billions of people could be saved. But yet, they get to the antidote, and don't, they don't give it the importance. I mean, you have to admit, even in a fallen world like ours, you would think the person would want to help others to at least feel better about themselves. Or even... I don't know, make a profit out of it. I'm sorry, guys, this is bothering me too much. I'm like, my hair's getting to the point where I don't know what to do with it. All right. Even sell it for a profit. Like, you would think, at least, okay, the antidote, they can sell it for a profit, and none of that happens. I guess I know they're just movies, and while this is an example, it does serve as a vivid reminder to all of us today that we, in 2023, are surrounded by people who think they are alive, but they're actually dead, just like those zombies that I mentioned. And people who actually die daily without a cure for the worst disease ever known to man. 
this disease is sin. And the Bible says that because of this sin, we are all dead in our trespasses while we're alive. And when we die, because of this sin, we will spend eternity in hell for disobeying the one who created us and told us to obey. That's, that's a reality. But there's good news. The good news is that God has given the antidote to humanity. The Bible says that the price for sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus was the perfect son who offered the perfect sacrifice for humanity. And we as believers in Christ who have been rescued and saved from this disease of sin have the gospel message. And as believers, we should be spreading this gospel message and this news to the world like if there's no tomorrow. Let's read why we should spread this good news to the ends of the earth as we conclude with Matthew's letter. Matthew 28, verse 16 through 20. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We finally reach the end of Matthew's letter. Does anybody recall who this letter was written to? Who was this letter written to? Betty. Oh, I thought you were raising your hand. I was like, okay, girl, you're raising your hand. I see you. Yes. The Jews living in... The Jews living in... I said it earlier. Italy. A city in Italy. Rome. Yes. And... I pray that everyone can say this in a choir, in a chorus. What is the theme of Matthew? One, two, three. So Matthew, throughout the entire letter, is trying to tell, convince, persuade the Jews living in Rome that Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Jesus is who he said he would be. And through the resurrection, Jesus proved it. And what did Jesus prove who he was? What did he prove? What, did, what was the resurrection? We saw the resurrection prove that Jesus was what? The son of God and the eternal king of the spiritual kingdom. We left off in that resurrection scene in verse 9 of chapter 2 where it says, chapter 28, And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came up and took, and took hold of his feet and worshipped. This is Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and, they, and there they will see me. So today, we will see Jesus in Galilee, meeting his disciples for the first time after his resurrection. And we're going to see him commissioning them 
with the most important task moving forward. And Matthew would purposely leave this at the end of his letter. After he said, hey, this is the king. He's proved it. He's resurrected. We have all these witnesses. Now this king that you now know who he is, he has said something. And he has decreed something. And we need to pay attention to that. Specifically, we're going to look at two scenes at Galilee after his resurrection. Two scenes at Galilee after his resurrection. The first scene we're going to look at is the disciples' reaction. That's verses 16 through 17. We're going to see obedience and we're going to see worship. And the second scene we're going to look at at Galilee after his resurrection is the Great Commission, verses 18 through 20. And in this Great Commission, we're going to see Jesus' credentials, the actual commission, and Jesus' promise. The theme, main idea that you guys uh, should be thinking of as we learn about this today is Jesus as King commands us to preach His gospel to every nation and build His church. Jesus as King commands us to preach His gospel to every nation and build His church. Let's begin by looking at the first scene in Galilee after Jesus' resurrection. The disciples' reaction. And this reaction begins with obedience. Verse 16, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. But here means also, also, while the exchange between the Roman soldiers and the chief priests happened, that Brandon went over on Sunday, while this is going on, it so happened that the disciples were heading towards Galilee also. How many disciples does he mention? In verse 16. 11. He mentions 11. Why? Yes. Judas betrayed him. We saw that in Matthew's account. He hangs himself. He's dead. So there's 11 disciples, apostles right now, headed towards Galilee. So why did they go to Galilee? Two reasons. The first, well, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary told them. Hey guys, we saw Jesus. He's alive. And he told us to tell you, meet him in Galilee. Now, go. The second reason is Jesus prophesied it in the Last Supper. Matthew 26, verses 31 to 32. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. This is the Passover meal. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be, shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. So, we see here that the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus has de- had designated. Designated here means the mountain where he probably told Mary and the other Mary, tell them that I'm going to meet them here in this mountain. Now, can you imagine what the disciples were feeling as they walked towards Galilee? They're like, okay. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary are telling us to go. Okay, let's go, guys. All 11 of us were walking, right? Some were probably feeling shame. I denied Christ three times, they told me. And I fled that scene like there's no tomorrow. I didn't even go to his burial. I haven't even visited at his tomb. Some of them could be thinking that, right? Some were happy. This is Jesus, guys. He, he loves us. He's, he forgives us. He forgives those 
who repents, we're going to see our Savior. He's alive. Some were probably doubting. Even after they saw all the miracles that Jesus performed. And he literally raised three people from the dead during his ministry. Some were still doubting, saying, I can't. See, one thing is a little girl sleeping and a servant, uh, another servant sleeping. This, this, Jesus was nailed to the cross. Like, he was oblit- uh, obliterated. All It was bad. I don't think anyone can come back from that. Regardless of what they were thinking, they were going. They were obeying Mary and, and the other Mary, and they just wanted to answer all these questions that they had. So what did they do when they arrived to Galilee? This leads us now to the second reaction that the disciples had in Galilee, which was worship. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. When his disciples saw him, how do you see something? With your eyes, right? They saw him with their eyes. Their very own eyes, they saw his resurrected body. It wasn't enough for Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to tell him. They needed to see for themselves. And for many, just by seeing him alive again caused them to worship. Among these men was the author of our letter, right? Matthew. A first-hand witness of the resurrection of Christ. See, this, these disciples seeing Christ risen would never again deny their Savior. They said, we've done this once, but we can never do it again. It changed their lives forever, seeing the resurrected Christ. How do I know this? Well, we know that the majority of the apostles all died as martyrs. And you will not die for something that you don't believe in. They believed in Jesus. They believed in his resurrection. They believed he was the son of God, and they died for it as martyrs. See, the resurrection forever changed their lives. And guess what? If you are a believer in Christ, the resurrection forever has changed your life. Therefore, we should praise and worship our God and Savior who is alive today. But did everyone worship? I mean, it's right there in the verse. Did everyone worship? No. Some what? Doubted. Some doubted. They were doubtful. They, were, they hesitated to believe that he was the risen Christ. Did this mean that any of the 11 weren't, were unbelievers at the time? No, they were pretty much believers. It just meant that what? Their faith was weak. And they needed to be strengthened by their Savior. And boy, were they strengthened. They were strengthened till they died. Which disciples doubted? Luke records more than one, so let's not all blame Thomas. Luke chapter 24, verse 38, and he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do, your, why do, why do doubts arise in your hearts? Plural. See my hands and my feet, that is, I am myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they, were, while they still could not believe it, because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? Now John records, Mr. Thomas, doubting Thomas, 
in John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29. Go ahead and open your Bibles, because it's kind of like small to read that. Or if you can read, it's fine, but I'll give you some time to open your Bibles to John chapter 20. One of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands, and reach here your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. So God, Jesus, promising us, us that we are blessed, that we believe without seeing. The side note, if you are a believer in Christ and you're struggling with doubt pertaining anything about God, the Bible, the resurrection, it's okay. If it happened to one of the apostles, pretty sure it could happen to you. What I do tell you is don't stay quiet. Talk to your parents about it. Trust me. I know the majority of parents, they won't freak out, hopefully. Talk to your leaders about it. That's what we're here for. We're, we can't wait to hear one of those conversations. Well, I don't... This election thing is kind of hard for me to grasp my mind, though. Can you help me out with that? Well, I'll, I'll try, but it's still, you know. But we love all these things. Don't stay with your doubts. Don't let that eat you alive. It's better to speak of these doubts that you have to help and to know that the Bible has answers. And if you believe in Christ, they will be revealed to you. Not everything will. We just have to have faith that the hidden things remain... That the secret things belong to the Lord, but we'll, we'll focus on the reveals. But it doesn't mean that we can have a conversation about it. Got it? Okay. This concludes the first scene of Jesus in Galilee after his resurrection. And now we're going to move on to the second scene. So the first scene, we talked about the obedience of the apostles and the worship of the apostles and some doubt. But there was worship afterwards, right? My Lord, my God. Now we're going to go into the second scene into the Great Commission. And this scene of the Great Commission begins with Jesus' credentials in verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. See, after he is worshipped by his disciples, Jesus comes to them as the loving Savior that he is, not with condemnation, not saying, I can't believe you denied me three times, Peter. I can't believe none of you went to the tomb. How, how is it that we were together for three years and a half and none of you show up except now? Well, he didn't show up like that. He showed up with grace and love. And faith that they would adhere and listen to the commission that he's going to give them. These 11 men would lay the foundation of the church. Basically, you can say you and me are believers in Christ because of these 11 men and their obedience to Christ 
And instead of saying, woe is me, I did wrong, God will never forgive me, they were like, Jesus, we're sorry, but we're moving forward. What do we have to do? Where are we going to go? We're going to preach. And they did. What did he say to them? All authority, in the Greek, all ruling authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All means all. Just like we're going to read all nations and teach them all that you have learned. All is all. All authority has been given to him. He is telling them. My resurrection proves that I am who I said I was. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. I am one with the Father. Because I am one with the Father and I am the Son of God and the eternal King, listen to what I'm about to tell you. Because it is I who is commanding you and no one else. And because I am the King, the eternal King, and God, you better listen. And not only you better listen, you better obey. That's why he's starting with his credentials first. Why is he giving his authority? Because of his humble obedience to the Father. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Having this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, slave, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Not only just death, the most humiliating death on a cross. For this reason, also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is who is giving this commission. This is the Christ who humbled himself for you and for me. So because this command comes from the eternal Son of God, who has all authority in heaven and on earth, it should be obeyed, it should not be taken lightly, and it will have his full support, which we're going to talk about later in verse 20. After Jesus explains his credentials, he then gives them the Great Commission. Verse 19 through 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. It's a lot to unpack here, so bear with me. He gives a very specific task to the disciples, and that's it, right? Only the, those 11. No one else is going to take this task. No, he gives this task to the disciples, and he gives this task to us. We know this because in verse 20 it says, it, I will be with you even to the end of age, meaning us. The disciples all died. So his promise that he will be with you to the end of ages to his church, to us, to you and to me, to go, to spread this message through the power of the Holy Spirit. Guess what? 2023 years later, it's still standing. <laughs> standing strong. So the first part of the commission is to go. What does it mean to go? 
means we're not allowed to stay quiet about this good news. We are, we're not allowed to keep it to ourselves and share it with nobody. We are not to wait for people to come to us, because I know that's what you pray sometimes. Lord, if, so, if you send somebody my way, and they just ask me, what do I got to do to be saved? That would be so great, God. No, no, you're to go. You're to evangelize. You're to preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Can you honestly say to yourself that you can effectively preach the gospel? I'm talking here to the believers in Christ, the ones that profess Christianity. Can you honestly say that you can preach the gospel to somebody? Have no fear. Evangelism 101 classes are coming and is near, okay? But until then, just in case we get a question, real quick synopsis, and if you have your paper and notes, just copy this down real quick. The gospel in four parts. Got it? The gospel in four parts. The first part of the gospel, God is the creator, he is holy, and he requires perfect obedience from us. James 2.10 says, even if you keep the entire law but yet stumble in one point, you, may, you have been made guilty of all. Then we go to man. God is holy. Man is sinful and cannot save himself. Romans 3.10. For all have sinned. There is none righteous, not even one. That's Romans 3.10. Romans 3.23. For all fall short of the glory of God. Ephesians 2.89. For the gift of God, for, the, for we are saved by grace, by faith, which is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So you got God as holy, the creator, telling us to have perfect obedience. You have mankind, sinful, sin before God, can never save themselves. And then we go to Christ, the Son of God, perfect man, who died on the cross for our sins and, raised on the, and was raised on the third day. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we may become the righteousness of God in him. Last, sinners must repent and believe in order to be saved. What are you going to do with this truth? What are you going to do with it? Acts 17.30 Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. The choice is left on the person. Four parts, easy. Four parts of the gospel, four verses that you can memorize. Honestly, the gospel track that we have in church, at the end of the evangelism training, that's what you're going to have memorized at the end of seven weeks. So might as well start doing that now if you want to. But this is the gospel, the good news. Guys, you can, you're, God is perfect. He's holy. And he told us, don't disobey me. And we did. And that caused us to be separated from him eternally. We cannot save ourselves. It is impossible. There is none righteous, not even one. We cannot choose God even if he wanted to. But the good news is Christ. He lived the perfect life. You and me could never live. He died on the cross and he rose on the third day. Why? To signify that the sacrifice was accepted by God. The Bible says that if you repent and believe, you will be saved. That is the good news of the gospel. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will be touching some of you tonight that are not saved. And open your eyes to see your condition before a holy God.
So this go, this is the message that we're going with. Go. Take this message. The Bible says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. We need to present a clear gospel, a complete gospel, not an incomplete gospel. What is an incomplete gospel? Uh, don't worry about the sin part. God just, he's just waiting for you. He just loves you so much. He's waiting on the, on the window to, until the day that you choose him. No, that's not the gospel. The gospel is letting him know you need to cry out for him to save you because of your sin. Sin and grace, the complete gospel. We need to be praying daily like Paul prayed. Look how Paul prayed. Colossians 4, 2-4. Devote yourself to prayer. Keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned for that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Paul is in prison and he's telling, hey, I'm, I'm asking you to pray for the reason why I'm in jail. Pray that doors can open and I can preach the gospel. And then when I preach it, pray that I can have the boldness to keep on preaching it truthfully. Man, that's a spiritual prayer that we should be praying. Nothing wrong with praying for your dog. I'm just, it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with that. But not at the expense of these type of prayers that need to be on our minds. Do you have to be a missionary to go? No, you don't. You know what your mission field is? For those that go to school, that's your mission field. For those that do co-ops, that's your mission field. For those that do private school, that's your mission field. For those that go to Walmart, that's your mission field. When you go out to a restaurant, that's your mission field. When you go out to the park and play, that's your mission field. When you play sports with your team, that's your mission field. Your mission field is all the time, all around you. There's no excuse. Everyone is your mission field. Everywhere you go. You guys know what happens when you don't go? Well, Paul tells us in Romans, chapter 10, verses 14 through 15. He says, how then will they call on him who may have never believed? How will they believe in him who they've not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. But the command doesn't stop there. It's not just go. It continues. It is followed, go and make disciples. The church's responsibility is to go and make disciples. And when I say the church's responsibility, I mean if you are believed in Christ, you are the church. So it is your responsibility to go and make disciples. God is as interested in saving souls as he is in sanctifying those souls that he saves. What is it to make a disciple? To initiate or instruct a disciple in the ways of teaching of a specific teacher or leader. The verbs go, baptize, and teach are all related to making disciples in the Greek. So go, make disciples, baptize are all in reference of making the disciple. So where do the new believers become disciples? Or well, in the church, under the preaching of the word. That's where they're discipled. 
Acts 2, 41-42. So then, those who had received His word were baptized. And that day were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. And fellowship. And the teaching of the apostles. Hebrews 10, 24-25. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assemblies together, as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Guys, this is, Christ, this is how you disciple. This is how you make disciples. You go to church. Listen to the word preached. As iron sharpens iron, you have fellowship with each other. This is how you make disciples. How do you make a disciple? You guys, super easy for you. Any brand new person that comes in, be the friend. Go out of your comfort zone. Allow them to feel comfortable enough to go to the small group leader, and then the small group leader does the discipling for you. Can you imagine that? that you got an easy job. Making others feel comfortable. Going to youth group for other purposes other than yourself. Wow, that's a, that's a crazy idea, huh? Right? Oh, I want to come to youth group because I want to feel cool and I want to feel okay and I want to have fun and uh, just this boring tonight. It's like, no, you don't. It's, it's, it's awesome that you could have these things. But even if you don't, you call yourself a believer in Christ. You come to give, to be that friend for that person that doesn't have friends. That's what your purpose is. That's how you do this. This is an action making disciples. So where are they to go to make the disciples? Where do you go? Go and make disciples of all the nations. All means all. Every human being on the planet needs to hear the gospel if they are to be saved. All. We see this happen in the Acts of the Apostles. They first begin their ministry where? In Jerusalem. After there's a great persecution in Jerusalem, it forces them to go where? To Samaria. There they're preaching the gospel and many people are converted. And then from there they go what? To the ends of the earth. All nations. I mentioned earlier if you need to be a missionary to go. And I answered no. However, there is a place for the church to send specific trained individuals that feel the burden to go to places where the gospel hasn't been reached yet. Yes, missions is a part of our church. And if the Lord happens to call you to that, Amen. Let's explore that. Excel has a missionary internship that you can do to see if that's what really has, God has called you to do. There are peoples in this world that still haven't heard the gospel. For generations, they haven't heard the gospel. The commission continues with baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Greek for baptizing means to immerse someone in water as a ceremony cleansing. Those that have repented from their sins and have placed their faith only in Christ for salvation ought to be baptized. Some of you have been baptized because you've repented for your sins and you told the world that I am a believer in Christ. I believe that He rose from the dead. I am a Christian. This is how you do it, by being baptized. Now, baptism alone cannot save you, and it will not save you. Salvation, we know it's through grace alone, 
through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. But it is a commandment given to those who profess Christianity. It is a commandment given to those who profess Christianity. So some of you know that you're saved, but you haven't taken the step yet of baptism. Talk to your friends. Talk to your friends about it. But it is, it is a commandment that if you are saved, if you know that you're saved for sure, if you know that you are in Christ, it is a commandment. Baptize. Be baptized. To be baptized is to be identified with Christ in his death and his resurrection. Acts 2.48. 30, 38, sorry. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? This is after Peter's message, his sermon. Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we see this is a pattern act. This is what happened. With the 3,000 that were just converted, they were baptized in Acts chapter 2. We see Philip baptizing in Samaria when they were persecuted. Remember Philip? He's baptizing in chapter 8. Philip also baptized who? The Ethiopian eunuch. Remember him? He's being baptized as well. We see Peter baptized Cornelius, the Roman um, centurion. Remember him? The first Gentile recorded to be a Christian. He was baptized. Lydia and her family is baptized. Lydia is the found, where, where people met for the church in Philippi. She, she had a big house. She stole purple dye and... Her and her family were baptized when she became a believer. And remember Paul baptizing Apollos and his disciples in, in, in Acts chapter 19? This is the pattern. Those that repent and believe are to be baptized. In what name are they going to be baptized in? Believers are to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Notice it says name and not names. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not in the names of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is a beautiful example of many found in Scripture of how our God exists in three distinct persons. Monotheism, the belief in one God, is established in the Bible. Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Once monotheism is affirmed, it is shown from Scripture that this one God exists in three distinct persons. God the Father is called God in Matthew 6, 9. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Christ is called God in Isaiah 9, 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The Holy Spirit is called God in Acts 5. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. The Trinity is in the Bible. You can't not believe in it. It's there. It says the Bible teaches that Yahweh is the only God, and the God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all exist in one, as distinct persons. We can't go into too much into this. I just want to give you a little synopsis of the Trinity here, but it's a perfect example of where it appears, especially in Matthew. It appears in the, the baptism of Jesus, remember? The Holy Spirit descending as a dove. 
Jesus Christ being baptized and the crowds opening and saying, God saying, this is my son in whom I'm pleased. The last part of the commission is to teach those disciples to observe all that Christ has taught them. This is why Brandon chose to go through Matthew. He was obeying the Great Commission literally. He wanted for us to learn all that has been taught to them, right? Can you remember key truths of Matthew? What, what, what did you learn about in Matthew? Let's start from his birth, right? Remember his birth, his baptism, the Sermon on the Mount, the miracles he performed, authenticating him as a messenger, the commission of the Twelve, the kingdom parables, those who are greatest in the kingdom, the Olivet Discourse at the end of times, the Last Supper, his arrest, death, and resurrection, and finally his commission, among other things that we've discussed. All these things teach them is part of the Great Commission. Remember that for us, to be a true Christian, how do we know? Part of it is producing good fruit. And how are we going to produce good fruit if we don't know what His commandments are? That is what we teach the new disciples. We go, we teach them, we, 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 we disciple them, we teach them what is found in the Bible so they can learn how to please God with their actions and love Him more each day. Our gracious Savior does not stop here. He does not simply give the disciples an impossible commission and says, that's it. This is the commission. I'm out. He gives them the commission, and right after he gives them the commission, he gives them a promise. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God has promised that he will be with us to accomplish this task until he returns. He has promised that the gates of Hades will not prevail against his church. We see this fulfillment multiple times through history when the church and persecution has tried to kill it and it's, it revives it even more. We are called to preach the gospel, not to save. We are called to be bold and not be afraid. Look what Paul tells Timothy during Nero's, the emperor Nero's persecution. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7 through 9. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, Timothy, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. But join me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which has granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Praise the Lord that he is the one that does all the work for salvation through his power. And let's pray that God can give us the boldness and courage to preach his gospel to the ends of the earth. Let's recap what we just read about two scenes in Galilee after Jesus' resurrection. The first scene, we saw the reaction of the disciples, obedience, and worship. The second scene, we saw the Great Commission, and we saw about Jesus giving his credentials of why we should obey this commission. Then we see the commission, and then we see the promise that we're not alone, that he'll be with us for eternity while we do this. So how can we apply these truths to our lives? Don't look at, don't do the application yet. Number one, believe in the gospel. Repentant believe if you haven't done so already. He is risen. He is alive. He will come back for his church. I hope that you're part of that crew when we go up in the sky. Or if you're dead and resurrecting your body. Number two, live the gospel. The Bible says to work out our salvation. It does not mean salvation by works. It means that you, by you being more like Christ, and you loving more like Christ, 
you back up the message that you preach and the king that you represent and you become the light and salt that God has called us to be when you live out the gospel. Number three, preach the gospel. Not out of guilt. Oh, I got to preach the gospel because if not, God's not going to love me. Or to feel better about yourself. Man, I preached the gospel today. Yeah, I did it, Lord. Check. We do this out of love for the Savior. We do this out of love because He loves His people. He wants to save His people. And in God's grace, He's given us a part of that. Preach the gospel. Make this a priority in your life. Put it on the calendar. Donate to causes to spread the good news. Pray for unbelieving friends and family members. Be intentional. I'm on. Pray. Okay, I got this friend in school or in my neighborhood. I want to really preach the gospel. Pray for a month and then preach the gospel at the end. God is powerful to do so. And guess what? You don't have to save. He's the one that saves. You don't have to close any deal. You don't have to have him say a prayer with you or any of that. You just preach it. He saves. Number four, pray. Pray for forgiveness. For all the times that we were afraid, lazy, shy, embarrassed to share the gospel. Pray for courage and boldness to preach the gospel. Pray for opportunities to preach the gospel. Pray for unbelieving family members and friends that they can be saved through the gospel. Finally, thank God that He saves and that you can't. It's a lot of pressure that's off our shoulders. You just need to preach the gospel. All the gospel. And He will do the rest. Have faith. And go and do His commission. And know that He is with you to the end of the ages. Let's pray. Thank you, Holy Father, for allowing us to go through this precious book, the Gospel according to Matthew. Thank you, Father, for illuminating him to write the Scripture, inspiring him to write the Scripture, Lord. Thank you, Father, for all that we learned. We just pray that it can be in our minds and in our hearts as we live our lives. Thank you for resurrecting. Thank you because you are real and you are alive today. Allow us, Father, we pray for boldness to preach your gospel. We pray for courage to preach your gospel. Please forgive us, Father, when we've had the opportunity to do so and we've been ashamed. Please forgive us, Lord. Help us not do that again. We know that you love us. Let us not abuse of your grace. We pray for any unbelieving family member that's not in Christ. We pray that you can give us the boldness and the courage to preach the gospel to them. And most importantly, that you can save them, Lord, from their sin. Thank you for the salvation that we have. And thank you, Lord, because we know it's you that saves. Thank you for the promise that you will be with us to the end of the age, helping us and giving us courage to preach your gospel. And we thank you because you're the one that saves. Thank you for this time. Thank you for these two years and a half. And we pray, Lord, that we can continue to preach your word faithfully here at North Lake Bible Youth Dulas Ministry. And that we can be your slaves, your bondservants that obey you because you are king and you are Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.